My name is Blake Holmes, and this is my wife, Rebecca. We've been married for 13 long years. <laughs> and uh, just kidding. And um, we have four kids at last count. And uh, we have three girls and a boy. Um, our oldest is eight years old, Avery. And then our little boy is six. His name's Gage. And then we have Ellie. She's four. And then we have Wesley, who is one. So our house um, is busy um, around the clock, literally. Just this last week, let's see, at um, midnight, Ellie came in our room. Mommy, mommy, I think I'm going to throw bleh up everywhere. About an hour and a half later, I woke up Rebecca and said, guess what? I think I'm sick. I got sick. And then at 6 a.m., uh, our oldest came in and said, Mom, Mom, I think I'm going to throw up and throw up right where Ellie threw up six hours before. And, uh, and so we shared that lovely virus for a good 24 hours together. Some demon made me sick is what it felt like. And, um, and so our house with four kids, the youngest being eight, if we don't get a whole lot of sleep. So we're uh, used to being up around the clock, and it's a, it's a busy place. So... Uh, those of you with um, young kiddos, I know that you probably have had a similar experience or uh, one like it. So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in, all right? Well, Father in heaven, I just I thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity to gather with friends who, uh, whose heart's desire, Lord, is to want to raise their children in a way that brings you honor and glory. And... Uh, Father, I'm humbled just by being able to stand up um, on this platform, knowing full well I have a lot to learn myself. And, um, and so Rebecca and I, Lord, we, just, we come to you, Lord, in all humility, recognizing our own weaknesses and shortcomings. Um, Father, recognizing what, all that we need to learn ourselves. And, um, and I just pray, Father, that as we share from what we've learned from your word, and we share, Lord, what we've learned from our victories and from our failures. That, Lord, that you would receive the honor and the glory, and that my friends um, would be able to walk away, Lord, uh, with just a, a greater understanding of, the, of what you desire for us as parents, and not what the world tells us we need. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as I alluded to in my prayer, um, Rebecca and I have uh, a real clear, clear understanding that we are not up here as the model parents, and we want you to know that. Um, we uh, struggle just like you do. Parenting is not easy. I think it's the, the biggest challenge out there. And, um, and I find myself often having to ask for forgiveness of my kids, either for my tone or poor word choice or attitude um, part of being, I think, a good parent is modeling for your kids uh, how to say you're sorry. And, um, and, and I don't have to think too far back to uh, give a, a, an, a clear example of just that. As we ventured down to the state fair just this last week and found ourselves in a uh, terrible traffic jam with uh, incompetent drivers all around us, right? Because everybody else can't drive except for you. Everybody else agree with that? All right. And so we're down there, and the Dallas police have this thing blocked off in a way which, I, for the life of me, I could not understand. And, um, 
So we finally make our way through all this traffic, and we're at a light, and it turns green. I'm way over here on the left, and I know if I can just gun it by all these slow drivers over here, I could finally make my right turn to hear my uh, oldest daughter in the back go, Dad, you're driving fast, you know, and I'm like, just, just be quiet, Avery, you know, and uh, having to go clean that up a little bit later and just go, hey, Avery, you know what, I just didn't handle that well. And, um, and so I need to ask your forgiveness is, is when you said that, just to say, hey, you know what, Dad didn't have a good attitude there. And so I don't stand up here as the, as the model parent, but I do stand up here as a parent whose aim is to follow uh, what it is that the Lord would have us do as parents, as shown through the word that, that he's given to us. And, um, and I, I have a sweet wife who is kind enough to help me be a better daddy, because I want to be a better daddy, but it is a continual learning process. And so... Um, so, as I said, we don't stand up here as, as the model parents, but we do stand up here as parents whose hearts and whose desire is to get better. And, uh, and we humbly come before the Lord every day, asking him to give us wisdom and insight how to do that. And so, um, I just want to start off, there's some notes in your notebook. If you, um, if you have your notebook, you can go ahead and, and turn to that. Um, Proverbs 14.1 says this, says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Just think about that for a second. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman, she tears it down with her own hands. Now that's a proverb that I have read um, many times. But um, It's one I think we could easily just read right over. And you know what I think that proverb was teaching us is that nobody sets out, nobody sets out to destroy their home. You know, when you when you got married and when you had children, you weren't thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to think of the ten top things I could do to make mistakes and tear this house down. Nobody does that. We all go into it thinking, you know, I'm going to build our house. I've got great dreams. I have great aspirations for what I feel like. Um, I can do as a mom or as a dad. But the reality is, although all of us go into it with great intentions and great dreams and aspirations, the reality is, is that many of us, by our poor choices, we end up tearing our home down because of foolish choices, choices we've made. And so none of us set out to make terrible mistakes. We all set out and have a, a great desire to build a home um, of our dreams so to speak. But the reality is, because of foolish choices, poor choices, over time, what we end up doing is we end up wrecking our home. And, um, and the Lord has given us his word to uh, help us avoid making those, those mistakes. Look, if you would, at uh, Psalm 127. Psalm 127. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city... The watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Um, I, I just, I don't know what your expectation is coming into this time, but what I want to do is very clearly say is that 
um, I think to be uh, the parent we want to be, we have to move past formulas and easy answers. Um, I, I, I laughed when I walked up to that book table and uh, I saw this one title, which uh, I laughed with Mark McLaughlin. I said, well, Mark, here's a prime example of a book I'm going to try to uh, discount right off. And it's a title that says, Have a New Kid by Friday. How to Change Your Child's Attitude, Behavior, and Character in Five Days. Okay? Um, I, I know this. Uh, I know of this author. I've read of, um, one of his books before, and I, I, I know he's grounded, and I'm sure there's great things in here. But his publisher gave him a title, which I would say, you know what? This is misleading. And I think often what we do as parents um, is we gravitate toward books like this. We gravitate toward formulas and easy answers because, man, we want formulas. We want easy answers. Man, who doesn't want to have a new kid, a better kid in five days, right? All of us do. But it's misleading. It's misleading to think that, you know what, to be an effective parent, we need to listen to this radio show, read this book, learn this technique. Uh, It's just not out there. It's not out there. If you want to be the parent the Lord wants you to be, the very first and your primary responsibility is to build your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. And, And that's not what... We want to hear, we, we want to come into a conference like this, we want somebody just to go, hey, A to Z, here it is, one, two, three, where's the formula? Just plug and play, right? And, um, and, and that's, that's the way we always are. I always laugh, I get Runner's World, and Runner's World, man, they're, they're classic at having one, two, three on the cover of everything, you know, how to be fit and in shape and run, ready to run a marathon in 30 days. There's always those big promises. And it's just not out there. If you want to run a marathon, guess what? It's just taking the time to get out the door and have the discipline to run every day, to eat right, and to run every day. And there are no shortcuts. There are no easy answers. So I want to warn against, although this may be a great book. How many people have read this book? Anybody in here? Maybe a great book. But I want to warn against the idea that there's, there's an easy answer or shortcuts. And I sure don't want to pretend that when you walk out of here, we're going to give you a one, two, three. I'm going to tell you, though, that if you want to be the parent the Lord would have you to be, it starts with your own relationship with the Lord. And I think that that's critical in what the psalm is teaching there, that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Becky, you want to add some things Yeah, I was just going to say when Blake and I were reading over this portion of Scripture and talking about it, the thing that stood out about it to me as a mom is the part about Um, It's vain for you to rise up early and to retire late. And I think that's so easily the life of a mom. You're up with the kid who's throwing up, and you're up with the kid with the nightmare, and you're up with the kid who needs to go potty in the middle of the night. And I mean, it's around the clock. At any moment, someone needs you and someone's asking for something. And I loved this scripture because it was just a good reminder that just because I'm busy and helping everyone and because I'm getting up early and staying up late and doing all these things, that activity in and of itself doesn't mean I'm making the most of my time or making the best choices with my time and that I can't manage my house and my kids to be the kids I want them to be without the Lord's help, that that is still in vain. It may be a whole lot of activity and very well-intentioned, but me and all of it on my shoulders, even if it's from the crack of dawn till late at night, is not enough, that the Lord has to build the house and I have to rely on him. It's not just... Um, as a mom, just this hornet's nest of activity that's going to, an intention that's going to get you to a place um, where your house is the house you want that's the house the Lord builds. Another um, 
just key idea from this passage is found in verse 3 where it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Um, and sometimes we, we lose sight, I think, of what a privilege it is to be a parent. And, um, and, I, and I think we need to be reminded of that. It is challenging. It is a struggle. It is one of those things to where um, it, it, it sanctifies you, right? Uh, nothing reveals to me more of my, my flesh than sometimes in those difficult times I'm parenting. Um, but I am often reminded of the privilege it is to be a parent. And, um, and, I, and I think that's the lens we need to see it through. Even all the challenges, all the hard times, all the sleepless nights and discipline issues, um, it's, a, it's a privilege. And, and we need to see it, that, that children are a gift of the Lord and that um, and we've been given a, a tremendous responsibility. What, what I want to do is I want to offer to you um, several word pictures and just and ask you, um, as, we, as we talk about this foundation um, and the importance of laying a right foundation, uh, which of these word pictures best resembles your home? And um, before we get there, just to even think about which one best resembles the home in which you grew up in. And so I'm going to give you um, several metaphors here. And I just want you to think about, well, does this, does this one best resemble the home I grew up in? And if so, how have those characteristics bled into the way in which um, now I'm raising my kids. And, um, and, and then as we look through those, I want to offer uh, just a couple of uh, characteristics of those. And I also just want you to keep in mind, there's a continuum here. Um, I, I think my home at times has resembled each one of these. And, um, but, but I think based on personality, based upon how we were raised, um, that, that we perhaps find ourselves and one of these metaphors uh, more often than not. And, and the first one here that I just want to show to you is, is which your, does your home most represent? Is, is Does it represent an amusement park? Or does it represent an airport? A zoo, a business, a nursery, or an embassy? You can take a second just to look over each one of those and look at the characteristics of those as we just look at some of these metaphors. Nobody's home is perfect. Okay, that's why we're here. We want to learn how to, to do a more effective job in, in, in parenting. But look over there and just ask yourself the first question, which one of these, based on those characteristics, is most like the home in which I grew up in? And also, some of them are different from your mom to your dad. That was another thing when Blake and I were going through them. There's some that you're like, oh, that was my dad, or that was more my mom, or at this stage, this was more one parent or the other. Um, it may not, there may not be one that fits your home as a whole, but there may be one both in your home now as the parents or in your home growing up um, where you can see one parent or another in those um, word pictures. So real quickly, the amusement part, characteristics there. Um, we're going to go over these in more depth here in a second, but it, the, the whole idea here is, is that the word knows seldom heard. Um, it, it, we want our kids to be our friends. We want to have a good time. We're going to offer them what they want, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna, it's going to be fun. Um, an airport. Maybe you grew up with, with, a, with a mom or a dad who was really type A, where everything was efficient. There wasn't a whole lot of joy on the journey, but we're focused on the destination. Or a zoo. And what do I mean by a zoo? Maybe it's, it's where the roles are not clearly defined. Where there's um, uh, not a clear authority in the home. Or a business where it, it's pretty strict. And the aim is success and not necessarily significance. What does it take to be successful in this world? To get the right school, the right job, the right grades. 
a nursery. Maybe you had an overprotective mom or a dad who just continued just to put you under their wing, didn't want you to be exposed to certain things. Um, or more like an embassy, which I think is more the biblical example. And we're going to spend some, some time there. Take a second just to look at that. And I'm going to ask you, how many of you um, uh, grew up in a home that was more like each one of these? So take a second and just look real quickly. All right, so just real briefly, how, how many of you would say you grew up in a home that looked more like an amusement park out of all of them? You had a mom or a dad who was, um, hey, this is just, I wanna, we want to have fun. Okay? How many of you grew up in a home that looked more like that? Or with a parent. Or See, that a was parent. how they related to you. All right. <laughs> what about an airport? Pretty busy. Okay. A zoo. All right. A business. Okay. North Dallas, if you grew up around here, a business would probably describe many of our homes. A nursery. Had a parent that related to you like that. All right. And an embassy. Well, your mom and dad helped you understand the biblical role. That's great. All right. Well, let's take the time here just to, to look at each one of these, and then you can reflect in your own heart which one your home or your parenting style most resembles. Um, the first one we want to look at is an amusement park. And the characteristics here is, is where no is seldom heard. Um, there's a lack of discipline in the home, and there's no appreciation for delayed gratification. Um, again, if we were to look at each of these just kind of on a continuum, uh, I, I can relate to this, just the number of hours in which I work, um, and the odd times in which I work, when, when I come home uh, and, and I spend time with my kids, I don't want to discipline my kids. When I come home, as I heard one guy say, you know, and the, and the keys hit the door, I want my kids to think, man, the party has just started. <laughs> you know, I really do. I, I want to I walk in. I want my kids to run to the door, embrace me. And I want to play. I want to have fun. And, and, and because my hours at work are, uh, are kind of, Funky sometimes, just being a pastor. And when I'm home, I, I want to I redeem that time. And it's just this last weekend that really I had a, a false guilt. Okay? I, I, once a year, I want to sit down and want to watch the Texas OU game. Okay? And, and so I am. I'm sitting there watching that game. And in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there just going, man, there's this time being lost where I could just be hanging out with my kids. And there's nothing wrong with watching the Texas OU game. Okay, but but for some of us, I think when we're home, specifically for dads, if you travel a lot because of work, and when you get home, you want to play with your kids. You want to get out on the floor, take them somewhere. And I feel a sense of burden sometimes of, man, when, when I'm at home, let's go do something fun. I want to interact with my kids. I want to engage. I want them to, to be happy. I want us to go have an adventure and play. Um, and so sometimes I can find myself in, and let, let's, Let's go. Let, let's, um, let's, let's have a good time. And, um, and again, it's a continuum. And I'll just say from the other parent perspective in that situation, there are times where if we're in town and we're home for a whole weekend, and my life is so different being at home with our four kids all the time, I don't feel like home means parent-led fun the entire time I'm present. <laughs> um, 
And so there is sometimes a tension if Blake is home and he feels that sense of we're here, we should pick something, it should be this great fun time, and I'm feeling like it's the weekend, we're just together. Someone might want to play out in the backyard, someone might want to play upstairs, someone might want to run down the street and play with a friend. I don't feel like we have to provide fun and entertainment for them the entire time that they're home or just, and even just talking through his feeling about the Texas OU game, I said, I think you feel a false guilt at a time where it's your home and if there's something that you would like to do, I don't think having kids always precludes you from having something else that you might be interested in. Um, And I think there's health in that for your kids that their expectation is not always that, well, mom and dad are home, so now the whole world revolves around me and they're going to make it really fun all the time. Um, and, I, I, and just like we've said, in all these, there's a continuum. I think there's a place for that, but I don't think you should be a slave to that, that you're home, therefore um, it has to look like that. So Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And uh, what just a, a great reminder that it is our responsibility not just to provide the amusement park, to be the one who to entertains, but to recognize that there is a responsibility here for me to train up my child in the way he should go. Um, and, and that doesn't mean just always entertain. Um, the, the second little metaphor here, and again, we're just talking about home environments, laying that foundation and kind of the temperature in our home. Um, the second one here is, is one of an airport. You want to start off and just... Sure. Um, and the characteristics we put here is that you have little margin, you're preoccupied with what lays ahead, you have anxiety and stress. And as we talked about this, I said, to me, this is a time in your family when you just realize you're always rushing, that the day is packed, that you have a three-year-old who is always in trouble, really because you have planned your day or your week in such a way that if they're not perfect, it all comes apart. And so they may all be things that are fun to do, like fun to go to play group and fun to go to Gymboree and fun to play soccer, And but you put all those things together and it's too much and it's not good for your family and it's not good for your kid and you're frustrated and you're holding them down and buckling them in and frustrated they forgot their shoes and now they need to go potty and we don't have time to go potty because we're going to be late, but you have to because you're going to the mall and potty at home is better than potty at the mall. And, and when you're just living there all the time where five minutes or your kid having one extra request throws you down, gets you frustrated with them, you're living in a spot where you have way too much going on if that is the daily temperature of your home. And whether it's because you can't say no to things your child has been asked to do because this soccer team's forming or this gymnastics class is happening and your child's been asked to and you you don't want them to miss out so you say yes to things or because you say yes to too many commitments for you to volunteer or help out with this or be part of this group that then requires more rushing around and more... Um, more to do. It's just a feeling of too much on your plate that doesn't give your child the chance to have a good day with you a lot of the time because any little request is going to throw is going to sink the whole ship the way you have the day planned. Um, and I think for us, one way that I've seen this recently is we have had, um, as a lot of you know, we've had a very difficult last year because our six-year-old son was diagnosed with leukemia last June, and so that has pretty much consumed this last year in our family. And sweet Ellie, who is about to be four, I missed almost an entire year of her life during the hardest year of Gage's treatment. 
And um, so I've been so looking forward to this fall, and Gage is in kindergarten, and he's doing better, and I get to see Ellie more, and um, very intentionally, I signed her up for just two days of preschool, even though most of her friends are doing three, because I just thought, oh, I just want that time with Ellie back. And um, and then I decided, you know, I'm going to sign her up for ballet, too, because that would be fun, and it's an activity none of our kids have ever done, and she did it at summer camp and liked it. And um, But the reality was, when we got into the week, we're gone on Monday a lot at Children's at the clinic with Gage, and then Tuesday, Ellie goes to preschool, and so by Wednesday, she really hasn't seen me for two days. And so she's not in the mood to be dropped off at ballet. She would rather go to Tom Thumb with me and sit in the cart and just talk, 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 and tell me about what's going on. And... Um, and so I reached a point where I had to decide, why am I still bringing Ellie to ballet? And, I mean, I thought she would like it, but she doesn't like it. She clearly would rather be with me. Um, and at the end of the day, it's really just because I've already spent the money on ballet that I'm going to still force her to go every week, even though she doesn't like it. And either way, the money is spent. But you know what? Every Wednesday at 11 is not spent yet. I still get to choose every Wednesday at 11 what how Ellie's time is spent, whether the money is spent or not. She didn't ask to be signed up for this. I chose to do it. And um, and so I, with, I called the teacher and just explained what was going on and withdrew her from the class. But I think you have to have an awareness of how your kids are doing and how you're doing for your house not to feel like an airport and for it not to feel like there's that no margin rushing You've signed everyone up to do all these things or choosing to do these things that are just too much and it's not enjoyable. Um, and, and you don't have to keep making that choice every week, even if it's something you, are, you have already committed to. If it's for the best of your family to step back from things, then, um, then I think that is for the benefit of your kids and your family. Um, what we're talking about here primarily with the airport is pace. Pace. And, um, and as parents, we really miss out on um, golden opportunities when we are in such a rush, whatever the reason may be, however we may excuse it, um, we really miss out on opportunities. Um, We went to Disney World uh, a few years ago, and and I remember when when Avery was really, really young, and, uh, you know, we we were just so excited to show her so so many things. And, and, you know, you can buy those books, and it tells you do this ride, do this ride, do this ride. And we want her to see as much as possible. And uh, and she's so little. You know, it's not like she's 16. She's like, yeah, let's go, let's go, and has a lot of stamina. And so uh, we learned a really valuable lesson, though, as we we were trying to get through the park, okay, that as I could just feel in my heart, you know, we're not really having as much fun as we need to right now because we're just like, check, check, did that ride, check, check, did that ride, check, check, aren't you having fun? Come on, let's get to the next one. You know, and, and, and I remember, you know, we're pushing past nap time and, and we're just setting her up to fail because she's tired, you know, and so, and then I'm going to get frustrated because she's going to throw a fit. Well, whose fault is that? It's not her fault. It's my fault. I have no control over the pace of the home. And, uh, and so ever since then, we, we've just talked about uh, the mistake of going for one more ride and, uh, and how often, and how often we've, we've, we've made that mistake is when we try to just push, hey, let's just do one more ride, when it would have been better just to go, you know what, we don't need to do that, right? You don't need to sign up for, for ballet. You don't need to, to um, work through whatever it is that, you know, it's next. There's no law to doing that, just go, you know what, that's enough. And, and, and you really have to watch um, the pace of your, of your children because each child is different. Every child is different. Um, some of my kids, based upon their wiring, okay, they probably need a little more airport experience okay, 
to, to move through things um, in a disciplined order. And others, I just sit there and I go, oh, man, you are so type A. I've got to power you down. You need amusement parks, really, what you need, right? And, and so I mean, you really have to know your child, but, but pace is a huge thing. And, um, and, and the foundation that we set from a young age, I think, um, is, is crucial with this area here. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to add one more thing. The thing we always laughed about was one, at One More Ride was at Disney World. Every time we made the mistake of going on the One More Ride, we always regretted it. And we realized we needed that energy to be able to get back home, to get on the ferry, to get on the tram, to get in the car, to ride back to the hotel. to Whatever the whole thing was, the energy we thought we had for One More Ride, we actually needed that energy to get home. And, and I think a lot of times when you sense that, well, this is the last thing we're going to do, or we're not going to add anything else to the plate, or I won't plan anything else, that like when you sense you're kind of nearing the end, beware, because you're about to just give up your margin. And um, for moms, especially for moms who are home during the day with your kids, even just the choices you make um, for what you do at the end of the day when your husband's home and you may have the freedom to leave home, that can also bring stress. And just making good choices about how many nights are good for one or the other of you to be away from home and how many nights are better just in terms of a, how chaotic that can make your house at the end of the day. Because we've laughed so many times about it is hard to make the handoff well when you have kids who are hungry and need a bath and a husband walking in the door from work who's tired and you're like, oh, I'm leaving. And that just never goes well. And, um, and just even the decisions that you make with what's your time still affects the pace of your home and how exactly everything has to go during the day and at every point to fit in everything you've tried to fit in. And um, that sometimes less is more in that and just being able to, to have a family that is more peaceful and less chaotic and um, so much more conducive to good relationships and time for good relationships and less, um, less rushing. And that affects our spiritual life as well, right? Is that we can get caught up in the activity trap, um, even filling our calendars with good things. And what we end up doing is we end up neglecting our own hearts and, um, and, and just the time that we should be spending with the Lord. And, um, and, and so uh, I would just challenge and encourage you to think through what's on your calendar, what's it doing just to the pace of your life, what's it doing to your marriage, and what's it doing in the heart of your kids, because sometimes we're setting them up to fail, and then we find ourselves in a disciplining situation, which really we, we didn't set them up to succeed very well. Um, the, the next metaphor we share with you is the one of a zoo. Okay, No one sits there and goes, well, my house is a zoo. Well, guess what? Some of your houses, it's a zoo, all right? And, uh, and because mine has been that way sometimes, too, we, we can probably relate to all of these, some more than others, but the characteristics of the zoo, um, that there's no clear chain of command that there's confusion over roles, um, and that there's little regard for, for boundaries. And uh, this is a, a very popular thought um, within the secular world, but the Lord does give every home structure. The Lord gives us clear instruction that the husband is to be the leader of the home. And, um, and, and we could spend a lot of time talking here because there's so much confusion about what that means. And in uh, this passage, which we cite right here in Ephesians 5, um, it has been so distorted and taken out of context that a, a, a wife's role, uh, she, she has met, had been uh, made to feel as if um, to live in submission is, is some way in teaching being inferior, inferior 
And that's far from the truth. Far from the truth. Um, the, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's the picture. And, and as those who know and love Jesus Christ, we know that he loved the church by what? Sacrifice, right? Sacrifice. And so as the leader, as the leader of the home, sacrifice should be one of the primary characteristics of that husband, of that dad. That when your wife looks at you, he, she can see the sacrifices you're making. And, and, and it's that love for her that makes it easy for her to follow your leadership. And, and the same is true that, that um, the way you love your wife is a model for your kids from an early age. And, um, and so you know, no one likes to think of their, their home as a zoo, so to speak. But, um, but, but how often I have seen uh, dads um, really struggle because of passivity um, and, and uh, being absent within the home. And, um, and there's a lack of respect. Uh, the lack of the respect that the wife has for the husband, the lack of respect the child shows to the parents. And, um, and then there's little regard for, for boundaries. Um, and so, Rebecca, do you want to add yeah. some thoughts there? Um, I think here one thing that I, I see in terms of the roles is um, being a dad is not doing what your wife asks you to do with the kids. Being a dad is taking the initiative and being the leader of your home and really taking on the idea of, yes, you may be at work all day and you may have different hours and you may have less time with your kids, but you're still, you're still the dad. You're still the one that should take the initiative to be the dad beyond just things the mom asks you to do and, or that your wife asks you to do. And like this week, Ellie at her little preschool had dad's night where they get to go up there and the, just the kids and the dads go and meet the teacher and do all these different things. And um, Blake was really sweet and took Ellie and went, took her out to dinner first. And then they went to the dad's night and she was having so much fun, but it was over. And so they went across the street to the park and played for a little while. And that hour and a half or two hours for Ellie to just have Blake is so sweet for her, especially in the middle of a family with four kids. That's not time that comes around very often. And the difference in doing what Blake did of taking the opportunity to take her out to dinner and have fun with her there and um, and then go, you know what, she's still having fun and there's no reason we have to go home right now. Let's go and play at the park and do this. It was so different than, well, Rebecca told me to bring you here from 6 to 7, so it's 7 and I'm bringing you home. That's doing what your wife asked you to do with your child. And and there's a, just a difference in just your approach and in disciplining. And we've been places many, many times where a child will be misbehaving and the mom gets up and corrects the child and the mom gets up and corrects the child and the mom gets up and, and the dad is just sitting there oblivious to what's happening. It's like, you know what? You're the dad and your wife shouldn't have to say, honey, would you go over and tell him to stop doing that? I've asked him five times. Um, you should be able to see that without the and, and even if your wife is the one with the child the majority of the time, um, you still have the opportunity to take initiative as the dad um, that I think um, gives, a, gives your kids a different respect for the mom and gives your kids a great picture of family and a great picture of security. There, there was, um, my parents were not perfect parents uh, by any means. They made a lot of mistakes. 
But there was one thing I, I clearly understood. If I disrespected my mom, it was lights out for me. There were, there were many things I could do, but the worst thing that would happen is if my mom would say, I'm just going to call your dad. That put the fear of God in me. And, um, and, and, you know, that is a way in which I show respect for Rebecca. And my kids clearly understand. Um, if they speak back to their mom the way I'm going to love my wife and the way I'm going to help them understand how to respect authority is I'm not going to let my kids disrespect Rebecca. And so to the dads, the husbands, I just say to you that you're, it is your responsibility not to be the babysitter, okay, but to lead. And, um, you know, I just I don't want to pick on anybody. Um, and, and, again, I started by telling you I have my own faults. But um, it, it wasn't long ago that, that we were with some friends. And, and, and this little boy literally um, hit the, the mom, I mean, just because he was so frustrated. And, I mean, everything within me wanted to jump up and go, well, if you're not going to spank this beast, I'm going to do it for you. Okay? <laughs> And just to watch the dad sit there passively while his wife literally got slapped by this four-year-old little boy um, was hard. And, and, I just, and, I, and I looked at him and I, later because I love him. I love him and because I know it's his heart to be a, a dad who, who loves his wife and, and, and wants to raise his kids in a way which honors the Lord. I, I challenged him. I challenged him in private later in, a, in an appropriate conversation. Um, but a way in which you can love your wife in a way in which you can teach your kids what it means to be a husband or a wife, a good parent, um, is to make sure your home doesn't look like a zoo, all right, where the inmates are in control. Um, we were in our, uh, a group of friends not too long ago. This, was, this went over really well. And uh, one of the dads was going to be left with um, the, the kids for the weekend. And when asked, as we're all amongst friends, what are you going to do? Uh, the, the husband, this weekend, the husband said, well, I'm babysitting. And uh, how many wives like to hear their husband say they're babysitting? <laughs> Some of you guys are kind of going, what's wrong with that? I'm babysitting. <laughs> um, uh, you're not the babysitter. And uh, when he said that, I ducked, you know, because I could feel the wives there going, you're not the babysitter. You're not babysitting. You're raising the kids. It's in my responsibility. And, uh, and But sometimes I think uh, that that is the the attitude that's had there, and um, it's not the right one. The, the, the next metaphor here is one of a business. Again, just speaking of laying the right foundation, um, this is the one that is very characteristic of North Dallas, right? Where we're aiming for success, not significance. Where we think of the right schools, where we think of what's the right GPA, and we think in, the, in terms of what the world values and not what, what Scripture values. Rick, you want to speak to that? Yeah, I just think here, um, this to me is a question of motive. Because even when we were looking at the airport where it's so busy, um, that house could be busy because all the activities seem fun and you're social or you don't, have a, don't do well saying no. Or your house could be busy because you're driven by this motive of, well, my child has to learn this and my child needs to learn this. And some kids are learning how to do these things. And so you have this motive of success. Like, I'm afraid if my child doesn't play soccer when they're four, then they're never going to be able to play soccer. So I have to sign them up right now, even though I know it's not a good decision. Whatever it is, 
that the um, aiming for success, that that fear of your child not having success is the motive that pushes you and the success that is visible in the world's eyes. Fear of going, okay, so we're not doing any after-school activities. We're just going to come home and play in the backyard and let our kids be friends and have time with them and not rush around town. And um, and if there's fear in you that goes, but what if we don't have all these things then that all these other kids are doing and that is motivated by a fear of them not succeeding in the world's eyes, then um, then that's a motive you just want to understand and it's a motive your kids pick up on. And we had some good friends in Nacogdoches whose um, little boy came to know the Lord and decided to get baptized. He was 10 or 12 at the time. And the dad at the time, the, day, the Sunday of the baptism, his son was baptized at a big party at their house afterwards, and he said, you know, I will never be more proud of my son than I am today. He goes, even if he goes to Stanford and graduates from Stanford, I would not be any more proud than I am right now. And so I think that's just a question of motive, and your kids pick up on that, of what, it, what is it that you're proud of about them. And if, if the things that you're proud of are the things that the world values or if the things that you're proud of are things that the Lord values. And... Um, and even though for this group, everybody's, the kids that are in this age group are really young, it's, it goes back to you and your relationship with the Lord and what you value and how what you value and your motives push how you respond to your kids and what you ask them to do and what you're proud of in what they do. Um, so. so one of my mentors and uh, great friends has a daughter who graduated uh, top of her class in law school. And um, but who is yet to come and trust the Lord. And it's always been her prayer that his little girl would know the Lord. And he's always shared that with her and always spoken of how he's prayed for. And um, and, you know, she graduated and he gave the appropriate ham, you know, congratulations. But in looking for that affirmation, she didn't feel as if there was that dad, you know, I mean, top of my class in a great law school. And and he just said, you know, my prayer always has been for you, not that you'd be the top of the class in your in your law school. My, my prayer for you, and I want to remind you, my prayer for you is that you come to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ and know of his love for you. And, um, and so I, I see us sometimes um, aiming for success, and there is a huge difference between success and greatness, or success and significance. And um, success focuses on GPA, right schools, captain of the football team. And significance focuses on humility, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are, those are very different, very different. Is there anything wrong with getting in the right school? Absolutely not. Is that the bullseye? Not biblically, not biblically. And so, um, you know, I have one child who's pretty athletic and uh, has really good hand-eye coordination, and, um, you know, she kind of gets people's attention when she's out playing and stuff, and, and even when she does really, really well, I am constantly trying to help her recognize the value is not how many times you can make a basket. The value is in the type of teammate you are, the attitude in which you had, the humility you showed, um, and that's what I want her to hear from me, not just, man, you tore them up today, you know. Um, and so um, there is a huge difference there, and, and, and I think that what the Lord challenges us and is found there in Mark chapter 10. He says, Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not 
this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, it's a servant's heart that I want my ch- children to grow up with. I-, I want my kids to lead from a servant's heart, not because of position of influence, because they're on the student council, they're the captain of whatever team, or they have great grades. I want them to have those things. I want them to enjoy those privileges. But I don't want them to think that that's, that's the bullseye. Um, uh, another... Um, Can you this one? Sure. I'll take this one because we laughed that the amusement park was more the dad one that is easy for a dad to fall prey to, and this next one is the nursery, and it's the one that's, I think, easier for the mom to fall into um, on the continuum of being a little bit on the too much end of this. Um, And the characteristics we put were safety first, um, sheltering, tendency to prepare the path for the child rather than the child for the path. Um, And there are certainly things, I mean, obviously things that are good about appropriately sheltering your child. Um, but I think there's also a, um, a fear that can motivate that. Um, and I think that as we look at this and as we were talking about it, I said, I think this one to me is an illusion of early childhood. Your kids are young enough that you're able to kind of say, nothing that touches them doesn't go through my hands first. Or I kind of they don't really get to choose a lot of things. They don't choose who they go on a play date with. They don't choose where they go to school. I get to choose all these things. And so for a time, you have a little bit more of an illusion, I think, that things don't affect your child that you don't control. Um, for us, clearly, that reality came crashing to the ground when Gage was diagnosed with cancer. The reality that, yeah, there are going to be a lot of things in our life that um, touch our kids that we don't have any control over. And Really, that was not the goal all along, was to um, manipulate and control all of their settings in a way um, that we kept out all the bad, because you're not going to be able to preserve that. Um, and so that's not, that's not your goal, although there are appropriate ways that you chaperone and shelter your kids. The goal is not to keep them safe from anything touching them. The goal is to walk with them through the things that happen in their lives and in your family. And, um, you know, even little things like at this age, I remember when Avery, our oldest, was was younger, and I would have friends who would say, oh, well, I don't like at church what group my child is put in because her three best friends are across the hall in blue two, and we're in blue one, and I'm going to ask if we can be moved to blue two. And, I mean, that's just a sense of sheltering. Like, your child is capable of going into blue one and making some new friends. And and, and in constantly manipulating their situation, you're communicating to your child, you don't think they're capable of it. You think they they actually need your help to be able to stay in there for one hour and make some new friends once a week. And so I think there are times where you have to look at what you're doing and how you're moving the pieces and manipulating things to see um, what's motivating that and to see what you're communicating to your child in that. Um, And... And I do think it's something that it, early on you do, you do it more naturally, but then you start to think that, um, that you really can control all those things. And we laughed in the last month, Avery has come home from school with three or four pretty good cuss words that I pick her up from school and she's like, Mom, what's this mean? I'm like, well, let's not say that around everybody else in the family and I'll talk about it with you later. And I mean, that's the reality. She's in second grade. I mean, kids have older siblings. Kids have parents who use these words at home. I mean, it's just a, 
that's reality. And I think, especially for me, before Gage was diagnosed, I think I would have really overreacted a lot more to my oldest child coming home, having seen things or heard things that are not what I want her to be around. Um, But when you have to sit down and have a conversation with your child about, you know what, some kids do die of cancer. And um, yes, what Gage has, some people do die from that, but that's why we have doctors and that's why we have medicine. And the, I mean, those conversations are so much scarier um, and things you really don't want your child to grapple with, way more than the unfortunate cuss words that Avery's been coming home with. But I think the sooner that you can adjust to the fact that your role isn't to keep all that out, your role is to go, I'm the parent. This is what they're going through, and I'm going to walk with them through this and teach them. Here's, here's why we don't say these words. Here's what the words mean. Here's, and, and to be unafraid. The Lord has equipped you as a parent, if you avail yourself of it, to be a courageous parent with your child in the world, not to try to keep everything out, which is impossible. And so um, I think as natural as it is as a mom to want to protect your child, it's such a more... Um, godly thing to be unafraid to walk with your child through life and talk with them about the things that are happening around them for the brief time that they are under your umbrella and under your roof. And um, and again, it's not as much a part of this stage of parenting sometimes, but I think um, your mindset now affects how you handle those things as they do start to unfold. And um, and I did have to laugh. I was like, I'm not even, I mean, I wish she hadn't learned these words at school, but I can't say that I'm particularly bothered about it because our bubble was burst so dramatically with everything with Gage that that seems so minor in comparison. Um, and I think it has been a good reminder for us just to walk, walk with our kids through what they're going through and not try to and not be defeated in thinking that the goal was to keep all those things out. The real idea here is is that there is a tremendous difference between um, preparing the path for your child and preparing your child for the path. Um, and, and with good intentions. There are the, as we, if you've heard it, the phrase, helicopter moms, right? Um, who will come in and they're, they're going to figure out how to have the right teacher. They're going to talk to the principal so that they could get the favorite teacher or the helicopter dad, if you will. He could have the right place on the team and who will come in and rescue the child. And that is preparing the path for the child. And it is unrealistic. Um, and it's a losing, that's a losing battle. There's a tremendous difference between preparing the path for your child rather than preparing your child for the path. Um, and so that leads into our, our last picture here, and that is of an embassy. You know, scripture speaks very clearly that, that we as believers in Jesus Christ are ambassadors, that we represent a different kingdom, that we live in a foreign land. And to be sure, your home and the way you parent um, and the way you love each other and relate to each other as, as husband and wife, it should look radically different. It should. The, what you value, how you respond, how you discipline um, how you ask for forgiveness, how you relate, how you communicate, what you value, what, you, what your bullseye is as a parent, what your goals are, they should look different than your neighbors. As believers in Christ, um, you know, I want my children, first and foremost, to be able to look at us as parents and recognize um, more than anything in the world, I want them to look at us as parents and to create in them it, it, uh, an awareness 
or to make it easier for them to believe that there's a God in heaven who loves them. Based upon the way in which I relate to them and love their mom and, and shepherd their hearts, I want it to be easy for them to believe that there's a God in heaven who loves them and that his way is the best way. You can see um, on the next page there that we say here the biblical goal of parenting is this. Your primary responsibility as a parent is to model a life of full devotion to Jesus Christ so that your children will find it easy to believe that God loves them and that his way is the best way. How many folks I speak to, when, we, when they hear the Lord referred to as our Father, they have a very distorted view of what that is based upon their relationship with their own father. And, and I don't want that to be the case with my kids. I want my kids to know that I love them um, and that God's way is the best way and that God loves them. And I tell them that every night. There has not been a night that my kids have not gone to bed without hearing me say, I want you to know your mom, your dad, and Jesus love you. And I give them a big old hug and I tell them that every night. Your mom and your dad and Jesus Christ, we love you. And I give them a hug every night. And I pray with them. And I remind them often. God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. Nothing filled my heart better than just this last week as I was leading a little Bible study for my oldest girl and some of her friends. Um, and uh, I, I've done, a, I've done a, a lot of, made a lot of mistakes in parenting. But the one thing I think I've done right is reminding my kids of that every night. Because as I was talking about Proverbs, I turned to these kids and I said, hey, what's something you continually hear your, kids, your parents say often? And, uh, you know, one child said, clean up your room, you know. And we all got a laugh out of that. And, and, and we went around the room, whatever, and I, and I looked at Avery and I go, Avery, tell, what, do you, what do you hear me say often? And she goes, I know the answer to that. And I go, well, what's that? And she said, Mommy and Daddy and Jesus love me. And I just thought, man, if that's the first thing that comes off your tongue, I, I pray, <laughs> Avery, you don't lose that, you know. I pray you grow up with that security and that awareness that you know your mom and your dad and Jesus Christ love you. And and then if I can, as a parent, through humility and obedience and devotion to Jesus Christ, allow them to grow up in a home um, where I'm not preparing the path for the child, but preparing the child for the path, um, and and they can have an awareness that we we have an embassy at 28 Stanford, and not we're not we don't have an airport, we don't have a zoo, okay, we don't have a nursery, then, then we're hitting the right target. Um, a couple of passages of Scripture I want to share with you, and then I'm gonna, we'll wrap it up here soon. It's, it's found in Deuteronomy 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. What does that require? That requires your personal relationship with the Lord to be marked by Time alone with the Lord in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship. It should be on your lips. There's no substitute or shortcut for that. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Well, when's that? All the time. All the time. On the soccer field, after school, at breakfast, at the dinner table, on road trips. To constantly be able to just pull your child aside, go, hey, let me, let's just let's just talk about that real quick. Let's talk about how we could have done that better. Let's talk about how we could have responded in a way which would have um, honored your friend. Let's talk about how you could have responded better when your brother pushed you yesterday. 
You know, it, it should be on your lips. Can I share one thing? Sure. Um, kind of just as we wrap up our thoughts, I think one thing to me, just reading through these verses at the end and um, that's encouraging to me is the freedom that's there in relying on the Lord as you parent your kids. And I remember when Avery, our oldest, was born, and Todd's, all of Todd's kids weren't born, but some of them were, and I remember Blake and I asking him, like, what's the parenting book you would recommend, and what, what one thing would you do? And just wanting that formula, that, like, what's the easy one, two, three, better kid by Friday? What are we supposed to do? And um, his just simple answer of basically it's just it's it's the bible and it's your walk with the lord and at the time i remember kind of inside going well yeah yeah but i mean but what book really like give me the something that is you know a shortcut and um but i think what's so restricting about feeling like there's a shortcut is that you've got to search and search to find the right book and the right system and the right way to approach it and someone reads this book and does that and someone else reads this book and is sure it's this way and um, and the reality, every family looks different. Every family's road that they're going to travel down is different. And, um, you know, for sure, when Gage was diagnosed, it's like, whoa, well, we're off the road map now. I mean, I was pregnant with our fourth child, and we had two kids plus Gage. And um, there was no parenting book out there that was going to tell me what to do to get through that time. Um, but I wasn't off the road map as long as my road map was the Bible and as it was faith in God and just continuing to trust him and walk with him through that. And, and just the complete freedom and peace and comfort and support and strength and wisdom that's there, that there is no shortcut for that. And, um, but just how that's what sustains you. And, um, and that's where your hope and your faith comes from. And um, to me as a mom, surrounded by people who there are definitely days I'm like, oh, they're doing such a better job with their kids than I'm doing with mine. I should be saying that or I should be doing that. And, but just the freedom of going, every family is going to look different. And it's just like my walk with the Lord looks different than your walk with the Lord. And there's absolute truth out there. And then there's the reality of how we all are just walking with him in relationship. And relationship is never a formula. And um, I think there's a lot of freedom and encouragement in that, that just as you continue to pursue your relationship with the Lord, um, he provides. And no matter what happens in your family, you're not off his roadmap. That um, there is a wealth of... Um, everything you need to draw from there. You know, I would just say it's not the church's responsibility um, to help your, your child to um, have a love for the Lord. It's, it's not private school's responsibility in a, in a Christian school. Um, it's your responsibility. And um, there's no substitute. And um, it's more than just weekly devotionals. It's more than just prayers at the dinner table. Um, it comes from an overflow of your personal time with the Lord, of your walking with him. And um, the psalm that you see here is Psalm 78. It says, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but to tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, 
and whose spirit was not faithful to God. My hope and my prayer is is that my kids, that your kids, um, would see the model that that you set in the time and and the way you walk with the Lord such that they would tell their children of the goodness of the Lord. And it's not going to come through formulas or easy answers um, or shortcuts. It's going to come with a deep abiding uh, walk with the Lord. Um, that's That's your responsibility to take.